0: I've been asked if I would preach on Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and that's question and answer 37, 38, and 39. So there, Lord's Day 15, beginning at 37, what do you confess when you say that He suffered during all the time He lived on earth, but especially at the end? Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus, by His suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, He has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did He suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge, and so He freed us from the severe judgment of God, that was to fall on us. Does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? Yes, thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me, for a crucified one was cursed by God." Thus far, the reading of our confession summarizing the teaching of Holy Scripture. After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing together from Psalm 42, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. the congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, suppose that in this coming week someone was to come up to you and ask you, why are you so committed to Jesus Christ? Why do you make such a lot of noise about Him in your life? Why do you depend on Him every day? Well, what kind of an answer would you give to that person? I suppose you might say to that person, well, I believe in Jesus Christ because I believe He's absolutely unique. There's no one else like Him in all the world. He's both God as well as man. And I believe in Jesus Christ because of His great wisdom. Read, what he says in the Gospels, and you will not find any other wisdom like his wisdom. Or I believe in Jesus Christ because of his great works. Study all of his miracles as again related to us in the Gospel. Who else does these kind of things? Who else heals all of these different kinds of diseases? Who else has such great compassion on people and even raises some of them from the dead? Or you might say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ not only because of that, but also because he is the one who ultimately suffered for me and died and rose again and ascended into heaven, and he's coming again, coming on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. Well, I would say if you answer in that kind of a manner, that's a fairly good answer. But suppose the person who is asking you says, well, thank you very much for that. But can you give me any kind of a deeper reason as to why I should believe in Jesus Christ like you do? What would you tell that person? What could you tell that person? Well, perhaps what you could do is hook into the wisdom of Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism. For there too, as mentioned, we are confronted with the sufferings of our Lord, but Perhaps there, in more than in any other place, it becomes clear to us what it really is that Christ has done for us. The depths to which he has gone for us and for our salvation. And so I'd like to preach to you this afternoon on the following theme suffering like no other. And we're going to see that Christ bears God's wrath for us. Secondly, Christ suffers God's judgment for us. And finally, Christ takes God's curse for us. So suffering like no other. Well, you can see that Lord's Day 15 of the Huddleberg Catechism opens as it does in line with what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. And it zeroes in on one word, and that particular word is the word suffered. Christ suffered. Now, in a way, that's not such a surprising word because there is a sense, of course, in which we all suffer. Isn't that true? No matter how young or how old you are, we have some kind of experience or acquaintance with suffering. Maybe you're very young. But I think at a very young age, you know what it is to be sad. You know what it is to be disappointed. You know what a spanking feels like, probably, or a toothache or a stomachache. You know that words can hurt you and that bullies are not exactly to be appreciated or applauded. You don't have to be old to experience those things. And of course, if you're older, then you perhaps know even more what it is like to suffer. Maybe you've seen loved ones die and be buried. Maybe you've known sickness. Maybe you've known estrangement or loneliness or been on the receiving end of great ridicule. There are so many things in this life that cause suffering and heartache. And indeed, you could even say there is a sense in which life is suffering. You know, you only have to look around not only in your own life, What in the life of others and in this world in which we live? Look, for example, at the Middle East. Look at one country after another. Israel, Palestine, not yet a country, but okay. Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. So much suffering, so much instability, so many unexpected terrorist attacks going off one after another. Or what about Africa? So much of Africa is, sad to say, a basket case, filled with conflict between Islam and Christianity, filled with corruption and disease and suffering. And what about Latin America? Maybe you've heard these days about those people from Honduras and El Salvador are making their way, hopefully, towards the United States because, they say, in the countries where we are living, there is no life, there is no opportunity, there is no future for us or for our children. So you see, suffering is everywhere. And hence, when we come across that particular word in Lord's Day 15, we are not surprised And neither are we surprised to read that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered. We would have expected that. Perhaps even predicted it. And in light of that, notice the Catechism also says that when it comes to his suffering, he he suffered during all of his life on earth. It was one long experience of suffering. From birth to young age to teenagehood, to adulthood, to manhood. And as he went along, it became progressively worse. The Catechism says, summarizing Scripture, he suffered especially at the end of his life. And so he suffered. And we ask ourselves, what's so special about his suffering? And why does the creed put a spotlight on it And what can we learn from it? Well, what we need to learn is that Christ suffered unlike any other. That his sufferings were unique. Yes, and this comes out in the expression that we read together a moment ago about the wrath of God against the whole human race. When you reflect upon that, you need to look at the source of this suffering, the reason, and the character. First, consider the source. Where does this suffering that Christ experienced all through his life, but especially at the end, where does it come from? The Scripture says it comes from God. And we would say, how remarkable, how unusual, how controversial When we suffer in this life, it is usually because of our own mistakes and faults or experiences, or because of the experiences of others and how they inflict themselves on us. That's the nature of this broken life. And of course we know that God is in control of all things. And still we realize that there is so much suffering but, you know, Lord's A 15 makes clear that the suffering that Christ experienced comes from God, from the Father, from heaven. That in many ways you could say God is the source. And if God is the source of his suffering, the, the reason for his suffering is also mentioned, it says, it has to do with the sin of the whole human race. Now think about that for a moment. What it stresses is that Christ's sufferings are not connected to his own shortcomings and failures. As ours are. No, it's not so with Christ. His his sufferings are caused by those completely outside of himself. Actually, they're caused by a little thing called sin. Sin. it's a little word describing a huge disaster because in scripture sin is rebellion against god rejection of god disobedience transgression inequity darkness death sin is the fundamental human condition our ultimate problem is not covid As much as we may think of these days, it's not cancer, it's sin, S-I-N. And then notice that this sin is described here as universal, it's the sin of the whole human race, all people without exception. All beings are included, male, female, rich and poor, white and black and yellow. Educated, uneducated, everyone lives in sin. So Christ is suffering the sin of the whole human race. And that brings out its character as well. Which is, as it says, in body and soul, the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. And that, beloved, is enough to take our breath away. You know, imagine, for one, becoming the object, in one way or another, of divine wrath, and and then imagine that, that God takes all of his anger, his hurt, his displeasure, his disgust, on you because of what everyone else has done to him. Would you like to be held accountable for the sins of Adam and Noah and Abraham and David and Paul and so many others? Would you like to have their sins shoved into your sandals? And then we haven't considered the sins of so many others who have visited death and destruction on this planet. As well as pain and suffering and violence and upheaval. Is the mere thought of this not unbearable? Is it not the stuff of nightmares and horror movies? Well, it is. But still, this this is what happened to, to Jesus Christ. The sins of the world, the sins of his people were credited to him and to his account. And God held him responsible. And God directed his divine wrath at him because of it. It's God who did this. Oh, I know we we live in an age of what you might call the irrelevant God. As far as most people are concerned, God may exist, but He doesn't really matter or count. Because this God, you know, he tolerates everything, he he gets along with everyone, he ruffles no feathers, he steps on no toes. Sometimes he's also called the nice God. You know, he's been sanitized over the years. Qualities like justice, anger, righteousness, holiness, and wrath have all been erased and expelled from his character. But you know, regardless of what people may think and may say, God remains God. He remains true to himself. The biblical picture remains accurate. The God, our God hates sin and he punishes it. He has to punish it. It goes down to the integrity of his nature. So on Christ descends the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. And you know, beloved, that's an awful thing. But at the same time, it's also a most wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing for all those who believe in him, who confess his name. It means that the divine wrath that should have been on us has fallen on someone else. Another has taken our place, stood in our stead. Yes, and that other is none other than Jesus Christ. He took the wrath of God upon himself, so that we might be the recipients of the love of God. The Catechism puts it so wonderfully when it says, By his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness and eternal life. And so now, beloved, when people ask you about Jesus Christ and why you believe in him, remember the wrath of God. Relate how he has taken upon himself the wrath that should have fallen on you. Tell them how he saved you from everlasting damnation. Describe for them what it is to live under the umbrella of God's grace and righteousness and eternity. Impress Jesus Christ upon them so that they may experience and claim these same blessings. But then I would also say don't stop there. For notice the creed doesn't stop there either. As a matter of fact, the creed links the sufferings of Jesus Christ, and puts them under Pontius Pilate. The actual expression in the confession is suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, again, we have to wonder about this. What is a a spineless character like Pilate doing in such a beautiful Christian ancient confession? You know, the fact that Mary is mentioned in this confession of faith is one thing. At least Mary has integrity. Mary has faith. Mary has this this wonderful ability to submit her life to to God and to his will. But Pilate, you can't really say a good thing about Pilate, can you? An unbeliever, a Roman, a man-pleaser, a self-server. So we ask ourselves, what is Pontius Pilate doing here in the Apostles' Creed, that most respected of Christian symbols? Well, there's a number of reasons. First, he's there to remind us that the sufferings of Jesus Christ were real, that they took place at a certain time, in a certain place before a certain man. In short, our faith is not based on fiction, much less science fiction. What the Bible says really happened. We are dealing with an actual proven historical fact here. And second, Pontius Pilate is there to remind us that Christ was judged. You might say Pilate represents all human justice. Pilate is, if we take Romans 13 seriously, believe it or not, a servant of God. It's his duty to preside over the affairs of men. It's his calling to judge justly. It's his responsibility to hand out right sentences. And of course, we we know that he did not do so in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ. But still, Christ appears before a real human judge. And Sir Pilate is there also to remind us of a deeper judgment. When Christ is declared to be guilty by Pilate, there is someone else who is also declaring him guilty. And that's God. Pontius Pilate, before Pontius Pilate, he stands as the one accused by the Jews of blasphemy against God and rebellion against Rome. But before God, he stands as the great sin bearer, as the iniquity carrier. As Isaiah the prophet says, but, but God has laid on him the iniquity Of us all. And fourth, you can say Pilate is there to remind us of actually where we should be standing. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ shouldn't be standing before Pontius Pilate. He doesn't deserve to be there, he's committed no crime. But you and I, that's a different story. We deserve to be there because of all the shortcomings, the failures, the disappointments, the violations of God's law. Sometimes we talk about sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of commission, those are the kind of sins that you do openly and Maybe in premeditated fashion. You say things, you do things, you think things that aren't right. Sins of omission are, are the kind of things that we should do for other people and we don't do. Or the things we should do to God and we don't do. And all those things condemn us. So we should be standing before Pontius Pilate, not Jesus the sentence that he received is the sentence that should have fallen on us. And so, beloved, when, when people ask you, why are you so in love with Jesus Christ? You should say, not only because of the wrath, but also because of what he has done with respect to judgment. He stood in the place where I should be standing. He is the one who took upon himself, not just the wrath of God, but the judgment and the condemnation of God for me, for you, for all of us. But then there's also one more thing we should add, and that may be, in a sense, the most awful thing of all, and that has to do with the curse of God. After Pontius Pilate judged and condemned Jesus to death, he sentenced him to a death of a peculiar kind. It was not death by the sword or by firing squad or electric chair or injection of poison. It was death by crucifixion. I have to say, though, that probably this doesn't really speak To us modern western people as it should. Because I don't really think that no matter how much we talk about it. We really understand the horror. The dread. Of such. A death. In a way you have to be an Easterner. A citizen of the Middle East to really understand it at that time. And in particular, you have to be an Easterner living in Roman times. You know, in that time, most people, if they weren't Roman and they committed some kind of a crime, they'd be put to death by the sword. If you happened to be a Roman citizen, you'd probably be banished out of Italy for who knows how many years, maybe for life. But if you were deemed a threat to Rome in one way or another... Then there was a particularly cruel punishment reserved for you and all the rest of your ilk. And that was death by hanging on a tree. So they would attach you to this piece of wood, and there you would hang usually without any support for your feet or your arms, and your organs would slowly collapse into themselves, and you'd be strangled slowly but surely. And the birds would come and they would pick out your eyes, and you would suffer for days, sometimes for weeks, a very slow and horrible, horrible death. And the Romans were good at this. Sometimes they practiced it with zeal. We're told, for example, about those slaves who followed the rebel Spartacus, that they were nailed for hundreds of kilometers along Roman roads as a sign and a warning to others. Everywhere in the south of Italy, There was anguish, and there was suffering, and there was horrible death. Yes, crucifixion was a terrible way to go. At the same time, we should understand that crucifixion was not just a a Roman practice, it was also, to some extent, a Jewish one. Only the Jews, as they did most other things, did it differently. In Deuteronomy 21, we learned that if a man is guilty of a capital offense in Israel, he would be put to death, and then his body could be hung on a tree. But unlike the Romans, you hung on a cross while you were dead. The Romans would hang you there while you were still living difference between these two forms of crucifixion was the Romans would leave you to hang there until you rotted. The Jews had to take down the bodies before nightfall. But you know, while there's a difference then, ultimately, the meaning of both, whether it's a Jewish crucifixion or a Roman crucifixion, the meaning is the same. And it's to testify to a fact that here is a person who is utterly unfit. Unfit to walk on earth any longer. That's why he's suspended above the earth. Unfit to live among people. Unfit to to live with God because he can't go that high either. It brought great shame. Shame testify that this person is really totally unwanted, utterly rejected, and absolutely unfit for life. Listen, that's now what Christ Jesus experienced. Pilate hung him on a tree. Pilate Put him under a curse. Pilate declared him unfit for communion with mankind and communion with God. And if that isn't bad enough, there's even a deeper meaning here. And it has to do with God the Father. For Pilate wasn't the only one who laid a curse on him, but God did as well. What did our Savior say at a certain moment as he hung on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is that? But the cry of a cursed man. What is that but the cry of someone with whom all hope is gone? What is that but the proof that Jesus Christ really took upon himself the curse that lay on me? Yes, beloved, there's great suffering here, great darkness, great anguish. But you know, there's also something else great substitution. For again, what Christ experiences on the cross as the accursed one is not the result of his own sin and rebellion against God. No, it is the result of our sin and our guilt. Also in this, he becomes our substitute, our sin-bearer, our representative. So once again, When people ask you about Jesus Christ, let them know about the wrath of God, the judgment of God, but let them also know, as distasteful as it may be, about the curse of God that should be upon us, but instead is upon Him. And you know, after you've told them all of that, then you need to do one more thing. You need to challenge them. Challenge them to tell you, is there a greater Redeemer anywhere else? Is there a more caring Savior? Is there a more loving Lord? Who else? has gone to such extremes. Who else compares to Jesus Christ? There is no one else who compares to our glorious Redeemer and Deliverer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you to thank you, to thank you for what you have reminded us about this afternoon, about the suffering and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, may we take that to heart. And may we also, Lord, be bold enough to tell others about it. And as parents, may we tell our children about him as well. May we show Jesus to everyone far and near, show him in his wisdom, show him in his miracles, show him in his unique person, but above all, show him in his suffering. As the one who took the curse of God, the judgment of God, the wrath of God upon himself, that he might fill us with his incomparable blessing. Amen.